Good morning. I was supposed to come out swinging. It, it didn't work out too well. Well, uh, happy Father's Day. Great to see everybody. Um, I loved being a dad. And yeah, it is past tense. I have a son and three daughters. They're all over 30. And so uh, you say like, oh, you never, you never, you're always a parent. You never, that's not really true. It's really not true. It's, it's not the relationship that you had when they were younger. It can be really cool. It can be turned into a friendship relationship, something you can really, really enjoy. But um, uh, I loved being a dad. My favorite was uh, nighttime when I could uh, put them to bed and get them all in bed and then come back and lay down in bed next to one of them and just be silent. And uh, many, many times you'd just be silent and then they'd start to talk. And they'd start to ask you meaningful questions or interact with you in a meaningful way. Or you got to tell stories that uh, would impact their life and really share your heart, God's heart, with them in a way that they, they really wanted to know. It wasn't structured. I just loved, I loved those times. And fatherhood is a gift. It's a gift that many of you have been given or you're going to be given uh, and fatherhood is really about leading. It's, it's really impossible to say, you have been a great father, but you didn't lead. Fatherhood's about leading. And you are using your times and your resources and your thoughts and your life and your pride. You're either using it to lead or to follow. And uh, there's, a, there's a passage where Paul talks about leading uh, he talks, he talks about leading the church, but we're going we're gonna to kind of wrestle with it a little bit just to introduce what we're going to talk about today. It says, do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? As men, I love the fact that inside of every one of you is the desire to lead your family. Now, you may have lost that. You may have pushed that down so far. You may have been through experiences in your life where you've given up or you said, oh, that's not just, that's not me and I'm different. I'm not like, that's not true. If you are a man, there is a place at the center of your heart. You want to lead your family well. You know it's what you were created for. You, you may not have ever felt that. Or it may have been a long, long time ago, but it's there. You want the prize. This is the really cool thing about being a man. You don't want the prize for you. You want the prize for them. You want your wife and your children to experience the prize. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone competes and gains in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is talking about his leadership in the church. My question to you is, do you find yourself beating the air in your leadership with your family and the people you love? Do you find yourself very busy, very, you're just going, 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 but you seem to be running aimlessly? You, where's the target? Like, what is all of this effort leading to me being the, the man, the leader that I want to be with my family? And so we're just going to take one piece of this. We're going to teach you one lesson this morning. It's something you already know, but we're going to re-challenge it with you. And uh, I'm trusting that as you interact with God about this, it's going to help you move from aimless to a focused leader. And we're going to pick up a story of a guy named Esau. It's about Esau and Jacob. And we're going to go back in the Old Testament in Genesis and uh, the background to this is God has uh, called Abraham, and he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a, a great nation. He promises them, he promises them actually eternal promises. Um, they are both physical and spiritual promises. And he says, I'm, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham uh, has a son named Isaac, and uh, that promise is then passed on to Isaac, and then Isaac is going to have some sons, and that's where we pick it up. That's where we pick it up here. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to, to inquire of the Lord. Um, every child is a gift. Every child. The Bible says that your children are a gift to you. But when your wife has been barren, it, it, makes it, it, it makes that truth very real. So they understood as parents, wow, this is, this is a special, special gift that God has given to us. So she inquires of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, the two, there are two nations in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, this is interesting when we read uh, a story that happened thousands of years ago. And we almost kind of think of it as a story that's there to teach us a lesson. This is a real story. This really happened. Did you catch that it said there are two nations inside of you? What? There is a future inside of you. There is two boys inside of you. But don't just think there's two people inside of you. There's two futures, two nations. Men, your children don't represent just one person. They actually don't represent you. They represent a future. They represent an entire clan and sometimes a nation. You are not just the father of your child at this moment. You are the leader of people 
who are going to impact more and more and more people. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to, to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You can see trouble brewing there already. We're going to talk about that in future weeks in this series, um, in terms of the favoritism that took place in this family. It says, uh, and, and as we read the, the, the next part of the story, I want to make sure you get this in, in line, uh, especially for those of you who are teenagers right now. This story is about two young men who are probably in their late teens, their early 20s. Why? Because, not why are they that old, but why is this important? Because... Many of the most important parenting decisions you make, you make before you become a parent. If you could interview these fathers here, they would tell you, oh yeah, if I could go back and change the way I parented my kids or the kind of leader I am or the impact I had on my kids, I would go back to before I even got married. And I made a decision right here. And it sent me on a path that caused my child to grow up with a father who wasn't present. How come? Because I chose drugs here. Because I chose fame or money or that's what I chose here. And I struggled with to be a great leader the rest of my life because of the decision I made here. So this, what we're talking about today Definitely applies to all of us men, but if you're here today and you are uh, in this teenage bracket, this is you. You're making these kinds of decisions right now. It doesn't work that you go, hey, I just live my life, I make my decisions, I have a great time, I meet a woman, and then I become a leader. Then I'll decide what kind of a leader I'll be. Then I'll decide if I want to be that kind of man. Those of you who are now, you're either well into your fatherhood or you, you, your kids have already left. That's not true, is it? Those decisions you made way back when hugely impacted you. So, here we go. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, leave me. Let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. This is why he is also called Edom. Uh, don't have to explain the story. It makes sense. You've been out. You're starving to death. You come in. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Uh, you don't happen to have a birthright that you're able to sell in the way families did back then. Um, but the birthright was one, it was partially physical, which is you got a double portion. So if there was two 
uh, two boys, then you got twice as much as your brother. If there was four, then you got twice as much as the other three. It, part of it was physical. A huge, huge part of it was authority. You would then become the leader of the clan. You would then become the person that once your father died, the entire, all the brothers, all their families, and then once you got older, all of your brother's children's children, all of them, you have authority over them. You are the ruler of your clan. It's an incredibly important role, especially in the life of a leader. In the, in the case of Jacob and uh, Esau, it was also a spiritual promise. Because God had promised that he was going to make them a great nation. And part of that promise came from Abraham, then to Isaac, and then it was Esau's birthright. It was what God had promised. It was this line of this the great spiritual thing he was going to do in the lives of these people. That belonged to Esau. So Jacob says, first, sell me your birthright. He's literally saying to them, he's literally saying to them, I don't know if any of you had older brothers. I did. My oldest brother uh, was the meanest guy on the face of the earth. Now, he probably wasn't. It was probably true that I was the snottiest younger brother on the face of the earth, but this was my perspective. And uh, he lives in Michigan, so I can share. However, you probably won't ever meet him. Uh, this is me going to my older brother who used his authority on me many times. Going to my older brother and going, look, I want to make a deal with you. For this stew, I now become the authority in your life. I rule you. Can you ever imagine giving that up to your brother? Can you imagine? I can imagine getting it. That would be awesome. This is not part of the message, but I just got to throw this in there. It happened one time in my life. There was one time it happened. I was 13. I think he was 17. It might have been, I think it was 13 and 17. And he had been uh, in a snowmobile accident, and he had broken his leg or his ankle. And uh, he had one of these big casts on his ankle. And uh, I was not a good kid, and I wasn't a good brother. I was a real snot. Um, and so there was many times that we got into fights, but not very often physical fights because he was 17, I was 13. It's not that I didn't get into those fights, they just didn't last very long. And uh, I would be in real pain and uh, off we go. But this day, we got into a fight. And somehow in the wrestling match, his leg was right there in front of me, the broken leg. I grabbed that leg and I twisted it as hard as I could. I was the bigger brother for about a half an hour. I'm not kidding you. It was the most awesome feeling. I'm like, he, he, can't, he can't rule me anymore. I'm going to rule him. 
Now, it, you know, reality set in, and then, <laughs> then it was uh, my parents finding out and a whole different story after that. But that's what he was selling. That's what he was selling. He was selling his authority. He was selling his place that God was, was promised to him by God in this line. He says this, look, I am about to die. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? In other words, if I'm going to die, if I'm in this situation right now, in this moment, if my circumstances are such that I'm going to die, what good is the future? What good is my birthright? It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't matter because I'm going to die. I think you all realize he was just hungry, right? It wasn't that he was going to die, but he felt in the moment, I'm going to die. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Despised can sometimes, you, you hear it and you're like, well, hatred. Um, a number of the uh, commentaries said it, it's better to translate it, he looked at it of little value. It wasn't worth much. His birthright wasn't worth much. Both the spiritual. So when he looked at it, the spiritual part of life wasn't worth much to him, and neither was the future. It was the immediate. The nation that God had promised that would be built upon him it didn't seem worth much. Being the representative of the name of Abraham and Isaac, in other words, him being the one that carried the name of his father, wasn't worth much to him. Now, if you grew up a dad who wasn't there, or you, do, you grew up with a dad who you hate his name, this, it's really going to be hard to relate to this. I grew up with a dad and four brothers all of us want it to be that we carry his name. I can't think of a greater honor. It happens to me when I go home. It's fun. I'll walk into a place and they'll go, you're Don High's son, aren't you? Yep. That wasn't of any value to him. Only, in this case, it's Abraham and Isaac who they represented the God of creation. It wasn't just Abraham and Isaac. It wasn't just two men. It was two men who'd been called by God, the God of creation. It was of little value. The future of his wife and his kids, his sons, his grandsons, were of little value. This is, I want you to grab a hold of this, man. I want you to grab a hold of this. Your life and your leadership is, has very little to do with today. 
It has very little to do with the honor of your name. It has very little to do with you. It has very much to do with the future generations that are going to come. Yeah, your leadership will impact your grandchildren's lives. No way around it. Your grandfather and his leadership impacted your life. You're either living your life enjoying and building upon what your grandfather built for you, or you're living your life trying to get out of the lack of leadership that your grandfather left for you. You can turn that around. You can be the one. And they may never know it. Who cares if they know it? Because it's not about you. But it is about. They may never know it, but it may be that your grandchildren have incredible, meaningful, fruitful lives because you led your wife and your children today. But to Esau, it wasn't valuable. You know what was valuable? I'm hungry. I feel this way. I'm hungry. So I have a question for you. And, and this question is for you, uh, first and foremost, if you're a follower of Jesus. If you've accepted the promises that Jesus has for you. This is personal. This is not... Uh, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I've always believed in Jesus, or I've, I've gone to church, or I, 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 you know, I follow this religion. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that you have a personal covenant between you and Jesus, where Jesus has made you promises to forgive you of your sin, to become the Lord of your life, the boss of your life, and you've accepted that. Because if that is true, you have an incredible birthright. You have a birthright that is unimaginable. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. Your birthright is... Your birthright is that you will become the praise of God's glory. People will praise who Jesus is when they look at you. That's your birthright. And what he has done in your life. And you also were included in Christ when you, were heard, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Your birthright is you represent Jesus Christ. You are marked with the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go, everything you do, the Holy Spirit goes with you. Never leaves you. You represent Jesus. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those of God's possession. This inheritance, something you are going to inherit. This is your future. This is your birthright. You've been born, or you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn of, God of, crea of the God of creation. You're connected to him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, it, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's your birthright. The question this morning is, do you despise your birthright? Is that valuable to you? 
Does it matter to you? What are you trading for that birthright? He traded his birthright away. Are you trading your birthright away? Are you, do you view this relationship that you have with Jesus and everything that comes with it and who you are, do you see that as something that is incredibly valuable and the foundation of your leadership, or are you trading it away? Our appetites have a crazy ability to get us to focus on the immediate or the physical versus the spiritual, the immediate versus the future. Our appetites. And this is another thing about men. We tend to focus on our appetites. We tend to almost take our identity from our appetites. What is it that you love that kind of determines who you are? That's, that's a lie. It's not true. Our appetites have a crazy ability to get us to focus on the immediate. They convince us that the immediate is the most valuable. I shared this when we went through, the, through our finance uh, series. That when I was 25 years old, 25 or 26 years old, I had a great aunt who passed away. And she gave me $30,000. Now, at that point in my life, I thought, well, first of all, I was very poor. Lori and I were, we were truly poor. Uh, everything we owned was hand-me-downs. Um, the trailer we lived in, somebody else had actually paid for it, and, and we were going to eventually be able to make payments on it, but we, were, we didn't have much. Some Bible college and... Uh, three or four kids, and so $30,000 is like, finally, get to live like other people live. So, now I didn't have the $30,000 before I got it, so I obviously didn't need it, correct? And so I spent it. If I had put that $30,000 in the bank today, I'd have $320,000. I don't. Why? Because at the moment, at the immediate time, it seemed like the, the most valuable thing was whatever I could buy with that money. But that's just an appetite. And what happens with an appetite? It happens every time. You're satisfy the appetite, and how long does it last? Esau ate the stew. How long did that last, that satisfaction? Three hours? He gave away the most valuable thing you could possibly have. He gave it away, and in three hours, he was hungry again. In six hours, he'd have been just as hungry as he was when he first walked in. That's how appetites work, huh? That's how it works when you devour or you use up something in the media that could have been used in the future. They convince us that we both, that we can have both at the same time. Some of you are teenagers, and you're playing with sex. You're playing with sex because that's what everybody around you does, and that's what we're supposed to do. 
But God wants to give you an incredible sex life. He wants to give you that every time your wife walks in the room, you're like, wow, she's beautiful. You know what destroys that? Having a bunch of sex with people before you marry your wife. He wants you to have this fun, awesome, just incredible sex life that lasts for 50 years. You know what destroys that? When you have sex with lots of different people and it has nothing to do with commitment or true love. Right? But in the moment, it seems like I can have both. Can I have this and that? Some of you are flirting with an affair. You're flirting with someone, some woman. You love the fact that you, you, you have this smooth talk and you can, because you think you can have that and have your family at the same time. You actually think it's true. Appetites always make us feel like that. Some of you think that you can leave the spiritual leadership of your family up to your wife. And you can still be the father that your heart dreams of being. Appetites always make us feel like that. It's not true. Some of you think that, look, I can scream and holler and get drunk and, and just apologize and, and still protect my family at the same time. No, you can't. You can't have both those things at the same time. No, I think it's working out. The rest of us in the room want to tell you something. It's not working out. It's not true. They convince us that we cannot survive without them, right? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And you, you know this. You feel like this. And I do think this. I think men are worse. I think in this area, men are more dramatic than women, Right? Like, you don't get what you want. You get hungry. You're going to die. Right? You're just going to die. You believe it. It's not true. You can survive without them. They convince us that everything else is meaningless if we don't have this. You've said it to yourself. What difference does it make if I have a job, if I'm miserable? You quit the job. That's not a leader. What difference does it make if I can't have the car or the TV or the stereo so you led your family into debt? It's, it's quite often that people tell you, teenagers, they tell you the best four years of your life will be your high school years. Better, you better make it count now because these are the best four years of your life. That is wrong, totally wrong. The best four years of college. Do you know that two weeks after you graduate from college, that fun doesn't count. You ever tried to live off of past fun? You're 35 years old. You're sitting around the room. You're going, hey, guys, let's talk about what it was like in college. And then you walk out and go, yeah, my life's great. No. And it doesn't work that way when you're 55 years old either. You know the happy old man who just looks back on his life and he's, that doesn't exist. That is not true. It, it, you got to be 55 before you figure that out, but it's not true. 
They convince us that everything else is meaningless. Not true. So what do you do? Confront when you're tempted, and you're tempted every day. And a leader is a man who faces those temptations and makes the choice not for the immediate, but for the future. That's what a leader does. A leader is a man who faces temptations, faces trouble, and says, you know what? I'm responsible to do something about this. This is going to hurt like mad right now. But you know what? In the future, in the future, my grandchildren are going to benefit from the pain that I'm going to face right now. That's a leader. That's what a leader does. So confront it with the truth. You've got to learn the truth, which means what? You've got to read your Bible. And you cannot men say, I don't read. No. It's not true. If you don't know, we're not going to go that far. Okay. Seek friends who tell you the truth. Seek friends who tell you the truth. Memorize the truth. Memorize the Bible. And then hang out with friends who live the truth. Hang out with leaders. Hang out with men who lead. It might be a lot of fun, and you might feel really important because you, you're the best leader in your group. That's not, you don't want to be the best leader in the group. You want to hang out with people who are better leaders than you. It inspires you to be a better leader. Become a shrewd trader. Man, I, I want you to understand this. Men are in the trading business. That's what we do. We trade. That's what we do. We're traders. Every leader is a trader. Every great leader is a great trader. Trade the short term for the long term. Every time. The situation you're in right now. You can make the right decision right now. If you go, you know what? I'm trading in the short term for the long term. That's it. That's what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do. Just trade in the short term for the long term. Trade in your way for God's way. Why? Because God does not lie. He does not lie. His way always produces good in the future. Your way will satisfy you for about three and a half hours. And you're going to be hungry again. It happened last time. It happened the time before that. It happened the time before that. It happens every time without fail. Trade in your way for God's way. Trade walking alone for the strength of an army. Trade in making trades in secret is never a good idea. You know that trade you want to make, but you don't want to let anybody else know because they're going to tell you how dumb it is, right? Trading in secret is never a good idea. Get yourself in a group. Get yourself with a set of men that you can go, I'm thinking about making this trade. What do you think? 90% of the time, when it comes out of your mouth, you're going to be like, that's a really dumb trade. The rest of the time, the guy from the other end is going to go, hey, don't move, man. I'm coming. Don't move. That's such a bad trade. I'm going to get there before you make it. Don't walk alone. What trade do you need to get out of today? You can do this, by the way. There's not a man in here that can't start making great trades. There's not a man. Why? Because the trade is in your hands. It's not in her hands. It's not in your kids' hands. It's in your hands. You can do this. Like, I screwed up my life. God will take you right where you are and begin to retrain you so that you can begin to make great trades. What are you trading today? What trade do you need to get out of? 
What incredible opportunity is sitting right there in front of you. And you're not taking it. You're not taking that trade. Take it. Do you need help? We'll help you. Take the great trade. Leave the battle. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that you traded the immediate for my future. I'm so grateful for my dad who over and over again traded the immediate for my future. I'm so grateful for our church who is, we're committed to helping people and especially men to trade in the immediate for the future because you have given us this incredible birthright. In your name we pray.